Hello, this is the Landscape Ontario podcast. Today we are going to feature the audio from the April 21st, 2020 Town Hall webinar by LO's COVID-19 Task Force. This week, Task Force members focused on the safety procedures they are implementing in their businesses to keep their employees safe and the public safe. Also, visit hortrades.com to register for the weekly town hall webinars they run each Tuesday at 10 a.m. But first, we hope you enjoy the town hall webinar from April 21st, 2020. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit dynascape.com for details. Okay, we are now live. Good morning, everybody. Morning. morning. So, welcome to another town hall meeting with Landscape Ontario's COVID Task Force. Today, we're going to focus on the future. The government has appointed a committee of key MPPs charged with opening up the economy in an orderly way while ensuring that the spread of COVID-19 is contained. We are trying to influence that committee. We want to be first out, out of the gate when restrictions are eased. There are good reasons why we can be. We are an outdoor profession. It is much easier to social distance outdoors. The sun is a natural disinfectant. The person-to-person -person contact necessary to spread the disease can be mitigated. There are many other public health, sanitation, mental health, environmental, therapeutic, economic, aesthetic, and other life-enhancing benefits we offer. But at the end of the day, if we wanna be first out of the gate, we need to focus on safety. This is what this webinar is all about. The presenters today are all members of the COVID task force. Let me introduce them. Alan White is the chair of the task force. He runs a lawn care, irrigation and snow operations firm in the Burlington area. Jeff Olson owns one of Canada's largest nursery operations. David Wright is the president of Landscape Ontario. His business is a design build firm out of Kitchener Waterloo. Peter Ganane runs a landscape company in the Toronto area. And Jamie Riddell is responsible for a large landscape supply firm operating in Canada and the United States. So here's the format. Each presenter will spend a few minutes speaking about the protocols they have put in place to keep their employees and customers safe. Afterwards, I'll ask them a few questions and you too will be able to ask questions. Simply use the chat box. Please keep the questions on topic. So. Let's start. So I'd like to start with with Peter. He's he's live in live on location here. So, so Peter. Thanks, Tony. Uh, yeah. yeah. What have you done? Yeah. I thought it would be a good idea. We're going to talk about some of the uh, protocols that we have been working on trying to develop to facilitate working in this new environment. It's an ongoing struggle. Uh, Back in February, I took a look. I had an infectious disease pro, uh, safety uh, procedure in my company, but it was old. I had done it with the safety groups through LO probably six or seven years ago, and, uh, and it needed updating given this new situation. So uh, the first thing I did was I, I uh, tasked our Joint Health and Safety Committee to revise and update that uh, safety protocol in order to address the unique issues with COVID-19. Uh, we've been working on that for a while. We developed some draft policies that we circulated amongst our foreman 
uh, to get feedback on on how they could work with these protocols and uh, and where they saw shortfalls in our protocols. And uh, and uh, we've come up with some pretty good ideas. I don't think we're 100% there. I think there's still room for improvement. I'm on a job site right now and we've got, uh, I just turn around so you guys can see. I've got, uh, I've got some stonework going on. I've got three staff on this site today. Uh, we're able to keep them separated reasonably, but not all the time. So all of my staff are wearing masks. We have these non-surgical masks that were made for us and all my staff have one. Um, and that way when they are occasionally within the six feet that they're not, uh, they're not exposing themselves unnecessarily. We have a hand wash station on site. Say hand sanitizer is in short supply and uh, the health authorities have recommended soap and water is more effective than hand sanitizer. So, and there's plenty of soap. So I have a water uh, container and I have a soap dispenser and we can do hands-free hand washing before and after using the washroom, before and after eating, constantly during the day. We try to avoid sharing tools. Uh, there is, There are some challenges with our protocols and uh, substantially it has to do with other trades on sites. On construction sites, I'm not in charge of the entire site oftentimes. I'm often a sub-trade. And uh, earlier this week, we had the steel uh, fabricators put this structure together and they did not social distance. They did not wear masks. They were smoking and coughing and, and my staff were concerned and they were able to work away from those guys. But it, that type of situation is going to be uh, probably our biggest challenge going forward uh, because I don't have control over those people. So, and that's where we're at today. Uh, all my staff come to site in separate vehicles and that's hopefully a, uh, not necessarily a permanent situation. Hopefully we'll find a way to travel together, but for now uh, it's simple enough. The staff all have their own vehicles luckily. So, so that works for me on this site. Tony. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Jeff, you're next. Uh, what, what kind of strategies are you putting in place in the nursery? Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, and good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you all again. Um, so we're in a bit of a unique situation uh, as growers. So a little different, a lot different than contractors. We have physical locations that our, that our folks come to. Um, and so one of the big things uh, from an employer standpoint that, uh, that we've implemented now, early on, we implemented all of the hygiene practices that, that uh, the WHO um, put out there. Uh, from hand sanitizer, social distancing, all of, you know, cough into your arm, all of those, all of those protocols, uh, which I'm seeing some notes we should be, and I think a lot of them are posted on the, uh, on the LO website. So we implemented all of those uh, quite early, but we have a couple of unique situations. Uh, so we, you know, a lot of people coming to our workplace and now we're starting to bring people back to work. Um, we do a screening checklist uh, for everybody coming on site. So uh, in all, so we've run five locations uh, from uh, BC to uh, in, in Ontario. In all of our locations, we are uh, putting this uh, the screening questions to consider things like it's just a simple questionnaire. Uh, you know, when employees uh, show up in the morning, 
they're not allowed into the buildings until they go through this questionnaire. And it's things like, you know, have you traveled in 14 days? And have you, do you have a cough? Do you have, a, do you have any symptoms? Uh, that type of uh, thing. Have you brought your uh, personal uh, protective uh, equipment? So your mask and things like that. Um, and if they don't pass any of those, then they're not allowed to come to work. And uh, because I think a lot of this, folks, uh, from an employer standpoint, is going to be about uh, the protection of your business. And, um, of course, protection of your employees first, protection of your business second. And, and you're, it's, you need to have documentation, and at least we feel like we do. Uh, so daily checklists are huge. And, and making sure that uh, you are following protocol uh, in case things like the, you get an outbreak, um, or the Ministry of Labor comes by and and checks. So we're doing all of that. We also have a very unique situation with temporary foreign workers. Um, so we have about uh, two thirds of our uh, temporary foreign workers who are uh, working for us. So we get about a hundred uh, people in, and there's a, so there were about sixty on site in, in the various locations. So that requires a whole separate protocol around cleanliness of the facilities and. So the first folks that we got in, in the beginning of March, there was a completely different protocol than there is today. We received workers last week. Uh, they must stay uh, quarantined within the facility, within, within their house for 14 days. They can't leave. Uh, they can't work. Uh, so, and, and we still have to pay them. Uh, so we have a complete protocol around that, even uh, in terms of uh, interacting with other uh, staff, um, how they get their groceries. I mean, things as simple as logistics around that. Um, you know, we've, we've had to change protocols around that. They never leave the farms anymore. Um, so those are the protocols we put in place uh, among many, many others. But uh, in, a, in a brief synopsis, that's, uh, that's a couple of the key points that are unique to our business. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Alan, uh, you're next, you're up next. What kind of strategies are you, you employing? Um, not that dissimilar to to what Peter and Jeff are sharing. I think I think first and foremost, we looked at our current protocols uh, in our health and safety manuals, just to see where we were at and did we have um, current protocols for infectious disease. So for us, it was newer. We did have some around obviously health and safety and getting sick, um, but workplace safety and prevention services actually provided some great insight as to how we could kind of update our, our own health and safety protocols specific to, to this crisis that we're dealing with right now. Um, and then a big part of why we're in our downtime was walking through all those procedures, walking through our facilities, um, identifying PPE um, changes or new things with C. Peter, he's implemented a lot of them. Um, a lot of it just has to do with the ability to hand wash, uh, the ability to have face mask present, um, uh, and the ability to obviously protect our employees and our customers from uh, points of, of contact or infection. Not really that dissimilar to the way we would approach a, a common cold, except obviously this one's a lot more virulent and people, uh, when they come in contact, it would have just such an adverse potential for reaction. So touch points is a big piece for us just to get past the human behavior um, process of normal opening doors, approaching vehicles, um, seeking supplies within your organization, just using washroom facilities or something as simple as a coffee machine, um, making sure that you've thought these processes through the ones that you need to change or take out of the, out of those procedures, um, just to, again, minimize risk, I think are important to do for the short term. 
Um, and then as we learn more about this and we get more information from both government, the health officials and others, um, then we hopefully will be able to ease uh, into even a more sense of normality so we can get back to it. But whenever you have an unknown in your risk management as an employer uh, with the responsibility to your employee's safety first and foremost, um, is to reduce those risks uh, at, at all points that you can. So for us, a lot of times, just take it right out of the equation if you can't come up with a workaround in the immediate um, need. And then um, with your team, identify ways to over time bring it back into um, the normality. Um, the other big one for us uh, through this downtime is of identifying supply chains for PPE that may not be necessarily your normal supply chains um, or your normal supply chains just because of the massive demand uh, instantaneously, not just in our own local markets, but Canada-wide or in many cases globally. Um, what are workarounds? For an association of the task force, we're working with workplace safety and prevention services to come up with better protocols or even uh, suitable workarounds. Um, listening to the health authorities as they come up with workarounds, because obviously we want first and foremost medical supplies to be going to frontline um, healthcare providers, uh, and even in many cases to frontline uh, employees that can't, like us, have the benefit of removing ourselves in most cases from a public environment like grocery store workers, pharmacy workers. Um, so we want to ensure we're being responsible and not depleting the supply chain while also identifying ways to find new sources um, of products. A lot of it for us is finding people that are making uh, reusable uh, face masks. For the most part, it's, it's not actually for our protection, it's for close proximity protection um, of ourselves with others. So washable, reusable mask is perfectly suitable uh, for our work environment. Disposable gloves, finding companies that might supply into the automotive industry or, uh, or mechanics for lightweight disposable gloves if you don't have access to soap and water um, or hand sanitizer. Again, it gives you an alternative option. Um, and then a lot of it's just removing yourself if we can in the short term from these uh, immediate risks like Peter's done with um, individual employees driving to the workplace uh, in our company because it's the early part of the season. All of our employees, even for training purposes, are in their own vehicles. Ideally, our, our business model and pricing model is not set up for that. Um, so we will be looking for long-term solutions to come around with that. But again, we're going to probably lean more on the health authorities to give us that kind of input so um, that safety is at the forefront. Obviously, out of, out of uh, as an employer, my field of expertise, uh, even starting to think that I can understand infectious disease and how to protect my employees. So that's kind of where we are. We're just going through the whole process. Big ones, identify the touch points. Um, and then with your management team um, and yourself as the business owner, every single day working through that because it's going to take What's the old saying, 21 days to change a habit? Uh, it's going to take a constant effort on our part to make sure um, that not only we put these things in play, but that we're really respectfully working with our teams and our employees to make sure that they're practicing these uh, things for their, their own uh, good. Um, and a little bit, we've also reached out to all of our customers. I think many have done that. I've seen lots of emails and lots of letters have been shared with me reaching out to your customers to make sure they really understand your protocols. Um, they understand in a sensitive time, one, what you're doing and two, what you need them to do to protect your employees and themselves and still allow you to provide the service that they, uh, they in many cases need or expect. 
um, so that there's no customer service issues or so or no un, un, unintended consequences um, of, of the current activities that are going on. So that's kind of where we're at, Tony. Thanks. Um, yeah. Thanks, Alan. Uh, Dave, some, some strategies from your perspective. Thanks, Tony. So we're doing a lot of those things. We're a um, design, build, and maintenance company. So we've got two divisions that are operating somewhat differently. Um, our, our design build crews have been working on uh, large construction sites, um, working on um, residential towers and, and, and so on. Um, with those crews, uh, they're arriving at sites separately. Um, they've all got masks. They've got their PPE that, they're, that they need. And, they, and each crew has a hand wash station that they're setting up. Um, in their work area, um, and we are. Um, and I noticed in some of the the um, the comment or in the chat room there that uh, uh, people concerned about finding this stuff. Well, we're using um, basically look at camp supplies. So uh, we're using um, water jugs uh, and uh, and soap, and we we got them set up in little kits. And so each crew, every kit is identical. Uh, the crews are carrying these or. Um, transporting these in the trucks uh, in the cabinets on the trucks and then setting them up on the job site um, and this is in our design build division um, so we're because we're on construction sites we're, we're at the mercy of our general contractor uh, fortunately we're working with some very good gcs um, that have washing facilities set up that, that have hand wash stations which have protocols throughout their their properties uh, you know how, how many people are allowed in elevators and so on just working on some terrace levels so there's certainly um, we're working with them to strengthen our own protocols. Um, with our maintenance division, we started work this week um, and they are, um, each truck is set up with, again, hand wash station. Um, we've, we've gone to two man crews. So um, in the past we had two man crews in maintenance and uh, three or four man crews in construction. Um, we've now reduced crew sizes just so that we don't have to keep, the foreman doesn't have to keep track of a whole bunch of people um, and make sure that they're staying apart. Um, this is for now. We may uh, we may change that as we move forward. Um, we're also carrying in each in each vehicle our our health and our COVID nineteen health and safety protocol. Um, so if we are stopped for whatever reason, um, we've got that. We can show that what we are doing uh, to protect our, our our employees and the general public. So there's a lot going on there that um, I think you know. And I also mentioned I saw a comment there on in the in the chat room about. Uh, um, you know, worried about uh, um, being approached by inspectors and so on. Well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you shouldn't be approached by an inspector. And if they are, and you can show that you're doing stuff right and properly um, and being safe, then there shouldn't be an issue. Um, there, inevitably, you have to have two people in a vehicle. Um, you know, you're dropping a vehicle off for service and you got to bring that other person back. You know, they can't even take an Uber because they'll be with somebody else. So in those situations, we are wearing masks um, and um, using hand sanitizer and sanitizing the vehicles. We're using spray bottles of um, hand sanitizer that we're buying from distilleries. Um, so we're getting, we're getting jugs of this stuff. Um, anytime we see it available, we're buying it um, so that we have a, a half decent um, uh, reserve of the material. And we're able to, instead of using wipes, we're, we're spraying down the surfaces with the alcohol and then wiping them off. Um, it's, it's it's a lot, whole lot quicker and I think probably more cost effective than using hand wipes. Um, and the other caution, I guess, is to not use um, healthcare quality PPE. Leave that for the healthcare services. We don't want to be in competition with them. We don't want to be seen as taking away their 
um, PPE. Use stuff that is safe, um, but not that, uh, that healthcare quality. Um, so we're using um, uh, uh, face masks that are manufactured by a, a friend of mine has a t-shirt business and they're remnants from, uh, from t-shirts. Um, if anybody wants the information, we'll, we will be posting it on a, on a, um, on a, a part of the COVID-19 website um, and resources. Just showing some areas, some places where you can get stuff. And I noticed again in, in the chat room, there are some, some different spots. So um, that stuff is available all over the place. You got to get your ear to the ground and, and there's, there's all kinds of it available in your community where somebody is making them or a company has changed their, their, their direction and uh, put on a new line and they're making some, some kind of PPE. So all kinds of stuff out there. Thanks, David. Uh, just on that, that uh, particular point, supplies, because it is, it is an important uh, uh, question. Uh, perhaps I can ask all of the attendees uh, to send us uh, where you're getting the supplies and we'll post it on, on our uh, COVID task force site uh, so that, that we can help each other uh, with, with that. Uh, Jamie, you're, you're, you're the last for, for opening comments here. So. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's like, <clears throat> um, you know, in my experience, a strong safety culture is, is the, the bedrock of a good business. And um, <clears throat> the, the strength of a safety culture is strictly through leadership. And like any leadership challenge you have to take on <clears throat> throughout your life, um, communication is going to be the key. Uh, and, you know, they always say they use the rule of tens when you're talking about communication. And, you know, if you think you need to com communicate it twice, multiply it by 10 in order to get it, um, get the message through. So uh, we, we typically use a rule of 30. If we think we need to communicate something, we can communicate it 30 times. And um, so through, through an, you know, really instilling a safety culture early on in the process um, with strong communication, we've been able to adapt to this uh, COVID-19 situation fairly quickly. Um, we, have, um, we have some great direction coming from our human resources department, uh, which we take internal uh, into our local team. Uh, we review it and we apply uh, what they're asking and we, have, we understand what locally they're asking, and then we apply that to our individual business. And, and as a supplier, you know, there's a lot of variables um, in our business, right? So we have not allowing people in our store. We're taking all of our orders by phone. Um, you know, we have yards that people are coming into, and how do you social distance there? And then we have to deal with also in doing deliveries, right? We could be delivering to a contractor on site. We could be delivering to a homeowner. We could be delivering to a commercial project. So there's a tremendous amount of variables in all of our day-to-day um, -day operations right now. And uh, the way we deal with that is we review each, each particular instance and apply our current health, health and safety protocol to it and make sure that we can do it safely for our team, our, cust our customers, <clears throat> and the general public. So um, what, we, we, what, you know, what we've always done is we've always had a morning huddle um, and in that morning huddle, we would discuss uh, the safety topic for the day. Um, and then we would review what is going to happen that day. Well, huddles are a little bit more sticky um, today when you have to keep six foot of distance. So how, how do you continue to do your huddles? So we can do those electronically. Uh, we can do those in person, maintaining good distance. Um, but it is critical that during that time frame, you review the safety practices that are going to be expected that day. So there's two things a morning huddle can do for you and why we believe in them. 
is, you know, when you get to work in the morning, there's always a sense of hurry up and get to the job site and let's, let's get on with the day. And a morning huddle really helps you to stop and think and talk about safety. Um, and that is in today's day and age going to be a very critical point to all of us with this many employees out there working is actually having them functionally stop, think and formulate their plan for the day. And then the next most important part is going to be um, allowing them the involvement in, in coming up with your safety policies and protocols and understanding uh, what is different on different job sites, right? So you have to involve all the teammates that you have in planning your safety protocols. And then uh, at the end of the day, you need to be ready for feedback, right? So um, as, as a company, we encourage uh, the reporting of um, what we call near misses. So these are things that could have been could have been harmful, but didn't end up being harmful in this particular instance. However, in the run of a day, it could happen four or five times in four or five different locations. So we need to communicate that to our team and we need to review it. And we need to make sure that we adjust our safety protocols uh, to, to take care of that variance that could happen. And again, in doing that and encouraging communication and, and that feedback, it allows you to sit down as a team again, involve everybody and, and come up with the right strategy in order to deal with these things. And having an open uh, channel of communication two ways um, is extremely critical in being the best at safety. And when it comes to safety and when it comes to protocols in COVID-19, I can't stress this enough. It's like anything else in the world that you do, you can't get better without practicing. So you need to run through scenarios. You need to talk about it as a, as a team. And you need to be able to, all your employees need to trust that it's an open and honest environment in order to develop the best safety policies for you and the activities of your team, your customers, and the general public. So from our standpoint, it's constant communication, constant review, and, um, and, and, and altering where we need to because, you know, our pol policies typically are, are meant for the rule and there is sometimes exceptions and you need to be able to handle those as they come up as well. Thanks, Tony. James. Tony, yeah. with, with uh, James finishing up there, can I just add, again, watching the chat line here, um, Part of the task force's reason for hosting today's task or town hall in relation to safety, um, I think it's critically important. Not only is this, is good preparation, and as we're seeing lots of people out in the uh, the marketplace today, both from uh, landscape maintenance, landscape construction, um, some garden centers uh, open face facing the public with curbsides, growers obviously uh, summer in operation. We're, we're hoping this week or over the next week or two, like the premiers announced, that at the provincial level, we're going to see some ease to this restriction um, that was put down with the non-essential business. But at the same time, many municipalities are chiming in um, and allowing a whole variety of, of things to take place within their specific municipalities, whether it's right or wrong or in co conflict with the province as a trade association, that's not our ability to deal with it. Um, our biggest concern right now is obviously to provide the resources to our members to make sure that they're in a good position to minimize risk. Um, but more importantly too, is, as a task force is, is in communication with the province, um, and we know lots of people are out there working, that we wanna make sure everybody's doing everything they can in, in the immediacy of what we're dealing with, 
um, while at the same time evaluating and bringing forward new protocols, new things that are going to, over time, hopefully get us closer and closer to a, a, a new normal, while at the same time finding ways to build into our current um, business practices the way we used to do it. So I think a lot of the comments here, first and foremost, is to make sure whatever you're doing today is minimizing the risk. We realize some of this stuff is going to cost considerably more than your previous practices, but first and foremost is employee protection. Uh, second is your business protection. Um, and then the consumer marketplace too. The government's going to be critical. We're in a very uh, delicate point right now. The numbers this week, um, the province, some of the modeling, the premier was saying, is showing signs in, in certain places within society of easing up, but in others, we're still seeing escalation. So we got to be extremely careful. We're not out of the woods. Um, and this is an incredibly critical time that we we do everything we can in our power to do it right. And to James' point is, is we got to build it into culture. It's got to, if it wasn't part of your norm yesterday, it's got to be part of the norm tomorrow uh, in, in any way that we can help communicate that to the membership. Uh, uh, that's our goal. While at the same time, working with the government and the health officials there to really understand what they need from us and bring that information back to the membership so that they can uh, conduct their businesses properly. Th thanks, Alan. Um, just, just to, to, there's a lot of questions about resources mm -hmm. uh, and, and where to get resources. And, and uh, so, so right, I'm going to ask Dave. Dave, can you answer that? Um, in terms of, you know, where, where do we get resources for policies and procedures? Where do we get resources for protocols? Um, you know, where, where, where can, how can we help the, the members with, with materials and templates? So certainly we, we've got a bunch of templates that are, that are on the COVID-19 website. Um, we're developing some on our own. Uh, we're looking to the uh, construction associations. Um, I get a pile of stuff comes through in email from different um, um, contractors that we're working for, um, or even some of our vendors. So we're getting lots of good policies and we're piecing together how, how it fits for us. Thanks. And I just want to add uh, EIO, we've asked EIO uh, to, to, to produce some, some policies for us. Uh, and what I mean for us is, is for the association. Uh, and uh, please go to the, the, uh, the resource page. Most of you have been on that page, but you'll have noticed uh, as of yesterday, uh, we have focused more on the safety side. There's a box about safety protocols. And the reason to do that, and I just want to underscore what, what, what some of the panelists said, is we are trying to get onto the new essentials list. Uh, and um, uh, in order to do that, we have to show and we have to mean that we're going to be working safely. And that's what really this, this whole webinar is about. Uh, so uh, a few more uh, questions. Um, that that the, the question about washings keeps coming up. Uh, you know, on a construction site, I think that's that's pretty easy to answer. There's usually porta potties on construction sites. Uh, with a maintenance company or a lawn care company, uh, how do you deal with that? So Alan, can, what are you doing? I can start with it. First, we're trying to uh, uh, to locate what exists out there in, in the marketplace. Since we don't have a complete list, our instruction to our teams and our process, our procedures right now is to come back to shop. Um, so we we would be looking at the future of scheduling in close proximity, then we're starting to build out. We're working with some of our uh, business partners to see if it makes sense to have um, joint portable facilities strategically located in our, in our market region um, for us to be the Western GTA. Um, 
and if not that, then, then the next piece too is uh, having dialogue with the supply chain to see what kind of opportunities, because the reality is the majority of the traditional public spaces are closed, as, as many are seeing. Um, restaurants and fast food facilities, um, those ones for sure. Even a lot of uh, gas stations uh, have really minimized what's available. So I think when you have to look at your market region to what's out there and then come up with creative ways around it. So um, I know any of those members that have tried to find porta potties and other things, they are becoming a rare commodity. Uh, sometimes you have to go up a couple levels into something that you would see more at concert events or big public gatherings. Um, obviously there's no big, big public gatherings going on. So, so those facilities uh, are opening up, but we have been in dialogue with our, with many of our partners to see if we can't collectively do something um, to help ease that burden. But currently we're coming back to our, our own facilities. Dave, what, what, how, how would you add to that question? So we're, um, for our um, design build crews, if they're not working on a construction site, we're setting up a porta potty on site. Um, obviously that is for larger jobs where we're there for um, a week or more. Um, other than that, they're, 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 head, they're headed home or we are also, uh, or sorry, headed home, headed to the, uh, uh, back to the shop. Um, for our maintenance crews, we're setting up camp toilets in the, uh, in the trailers. Um, so, and we've got our, our female staff working on that so that it is to, to their standard as opposed to us dictating what it should be. Um, they're, they're setting it up and they're coming up with, with how this looks and how this is working on our, in our, on our crew trailer. So have you already done that? Uh, we're in the process of doing that. Okay. Tony, we may see a U.S. style. It's it's typically not up here because we have cold winters, but in the U.S., a lot of uh, maintenance companies run trailers with literally like camp uh, RV style washrooms in the front of the trailers. Um, so again, we're all, as businesses, you look to the future. There are workarounds, um, as Dave's alluded to in the short term. Um, but equipment suppliers also, it's never been needed up here before, but there is the ability to, to outfit trailers with, with proper bathroom facilities like, a, like an RV would. Right. Uh, how about, uh, uh, the, the, there's a lot of questions about uh, going, going two people in a truck or three people in a truck. How, how do we answer that, that question? Well, I was going to, maybe I could take off where the task force has been over the last couple of days. It, it, I love the ingenuity of entrepreneurs. So, the, uh, the, the lots of creative way. The only caution I would have, and we're looking into as, as a task force from a safety perspective um, and through the networks that we have available, our understanding is whenever you modify the interior of a vehicle, you have to be, you have to be incredibly careful as far as the liability side of it. Most things that you see in vehicles that are like police cars or taxis or even the equipment that we'll be putting in aftermarket for snowplow operations and everything else, all that equipment is Department of Transport approved, mostly for crash protection liability. So does it obstruct sight lines? How does it behave in an impact? Um, that's just from the, the, the liability in the vehicle to other people in the vehicle. Is it going to cause harm or injury or obstruct sight lines? Um, the second piece that we don't have a clear understanding is inside of vehicles is a confined space um, by all nature unless the windows are always wide open but even all wide open blowing it around in a confined space the COVID-19 virus um, has been indicated to us by health officials can remain viable for three hours in aerosol form so circulating a vehicle unless you can seal it off we're not again we don't have confidence um, 
in the reality if it is protecting the other occupants of the vehicle. So again, apologies to the task force. We all, we all put information where we have questions um, and it's not factual, but we're looking at the two channels. Can we separate front from back um, and maintain a health perspective um, risk management? And can we get any information? We're working through workplace safety and prevention to see if we can get a clear understanding of what a vehicle modification um, means as far as the, the occupants and from the insurance standpoint, as we've said all along, if you ever have a question, check with your insurer first, because ultimately if there's an issue, your insurer is going to be the one that's, that's going to have to get involved. So the stuff that we normally see, the stuff that you normally put in your vehicles um, from any aftermarket suppliers is usually Department of Transport approved before it goes in your vehicle. And if I can add to that, Alan, um, we, we are starting with one guy per truck. Um, and the rest of the crew is following in their private vehicles or in other company vehicles if, if they're available. Um, we are looking at putting dividers between driver and passenger in, in our trucks. Um, we're working on some templates right now as to, as to whether it works. And we're taking that into consideration to make sure that we're not affecting crumple zones and so on. Um, I think ultimately um, the safety of our employees um, from the virus is 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 what we're thinking about here, uh, but we also want to make sure that we're not we're not causing a, a problem later later on. Um, there are a lot of companies that are working on that kind of thing. Other industries that are working on that. Um, it may be, and we may find out there's a simple there's a simple simple potentially simpler solution that again we need verification from health. Is it might be as simple as just everybody in the vehicle wearing a mask um, and disinfecting the vehicle. So if, if traveling around with a mask on prevents anybody from expressing any, even if they don't know they have the virus um, to any other occupant in the vehicle, and if it's publicly outbound that you're doing what you can in the vehicle to protect the other occupants, that may be at the end of the day, um, the most effective solution. But again, the short term as you hear most panels here, until we know those answers, yeah, exactly. before we go to any big expenses, yeah. we're going to, us, everybody on this call, we're going to one person per vehicle until we can get an answer. But those are some of the things we're working on. And certainly part of it is the public perception. Uh, we don't want to be pulling up to someplace within four guys pile out of the truck and, and whether they're wearing masks or not, and then have the public um, in up, uproar and which, which then affects um, how that looks to the rest of the industry. So, yeah, so, so we will try and get the answers very quickly. Uh, in the meantime, there are questions about the, the logistics of, of uh, one person per truck and everybody else meeting at, at the, the site. Um, what are our responsibilities uh, for those that actually meet at the site um, or, or go from, from site to site in, in their own vehicles? Um, are, are you paying for gas? Have you checked with your insurance companies? Um, all those those kinds of issues. Maybe, maybe uh, Peter, can you comment on that? Yeah, we have. Uh, we checked with our insurance many years ago because I've often had staff that have to move from one site to another site, and maybe they came to work in the morning in their own vehicle. Arriving at work uh, is not a work travel. Everyone has to get to work in the morning, so if their job happens to be at a at a construction site that's that's uh, their personal use to get to work but if i have to move them from one site to another site during the day that's company travel and my insurance company and their insurance company agree that it is their insurance that covers them when they are driving their vehicle 
they have to notify their insurance that they're using their vehicle at work and there may be a, an adjustment in cost. Uh, and for my company, I have a policy where I pay mileage for every work kilometer that the guys have to drive and they just submit a log and I sign it off and they get reimbursed every month. Um, so that's the simple, that's the simple way around that. And unfortunately, the maintenance is the one that has to go from site to site throughout the day. Our, uh, our routes are going to be tight. We're not doing maintenance right now because in the city of Toronto, we're not allowed to do lawn care and spring cleanups and that yet. So all my maintenance staff were at home, but, uh, what we're looking at is having uh, a train of vehicles if we have to go from site to site and, uh, and I'm going to have to pay kilometers, but I think we're, the guys probably don't do more than 10 kilometers a day. So it won't be that expensive for us or, or cumbersome for the staff. Uh, Dave, do you want to answer that question as well? Sure. So we're, um, we, I have uh, sales staff that use uh, their own vehicles. Um, I actually have a, a, a construction um, project manager that uses his own vehicle as well. So I, I've been paying mileage for many years. Um, I have my staff uses a um, an app on their phones that tracks their location and automatically logs all of their mileage. Um, you can flip back through it, um, you know, swipe right and swipe left uh, for business and personal. Um, and then um, those reports are then, yeah, the app actually automatically sends it in at the end of every month. Um, so that they then they can be re reimbursed and and then we're charging out uh, or we're paying the um, the um, the CRA standard rate. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, I was going to add the app that we use is Microsoft has a, a mileage app um, that works pretty good for employees. The uh, I think the cleanest way from a CRA perspective and for the employee is as Peter alluded to, and sales guys have done this for years. Uh, is just notify their, them what they're using their vehicle for. And then when you pay mileage, that includes fuel, that includes uh, insurance, that when you're using the government rate, uh, wear and tear in their vehicles, tires, brakes, all those things. Uh, so it's probably by far the cleanest, easiest way uh, to keep track. I saw a few people even chiming in that they were paying mileage based on their the miles that the, the, the company truck goes, and then they just automatically reimbursed all the employees for that same mileage between job sites. Sounds good. Anybody else want to chime in or are we, are we good with that? Um, how about uh, clients? How are you protecting your clients? How are you protecting general public? What, what are your policies there? So, so I, can start, I can start it, Tony, with this notifying. We sent out and you should probably get inundated with emails with every company from cellular providers to car dealerships and others, uh, what your protocols are as far as uh, customer uh, business in interrelationships. So ours, we've gone digital. We've told our employees that there won't be any, uh, our, our employees and our customers, that there won't be any customer contact um, to utilize digital channels. Uh, invoices won't be left on job sites as they historically have. Payments will be done online. Um, and if they have any questions, first and foremost, our, our customer service teams are here to answer that. The field staff, if they leave a message, is, is available to answer questions so we've set them up on um, the ability to use their own email addresses back and forth to clients just some of those things but i think first and foremost set expectation with your clients that we're trying to have that separation um, and train your employees if a, if a customer doesn't um, 
understand it or respect that, that they understand how to behave in the field when, when they get presented that, uh, that obstacle. Right. Jeff, do you want to? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Since we, sure. Of course, since we have physical locations, um, so we're closed, uh, on our, uh, public facing, uh, um, pickup center. Uh, but when it opens, uh, which as many of you, uh, hope it will be shortly once we, uh, once we get this whole thing figured out, um, our, our key is going to be to, uh, protect our, our staff and our clients. Uh, and the way we're doing that is uh, our location, our landscape pickup center will just be drive through. So you will not be touching any, any so you basically drive through the, through the facility. Um, we've made the driveways extra wide so that the trucks can get through and cars can get through. You pick your own product. Or of course we offer you know, the curbside service like all retailers are, are, seem to be doing right now. Uh, so you drive through the facility, even on checkout, we have a checkout tent now with, uh, uh, with uh, specific protocols about payment and uh, how, how, uh, how payment is received. Uh, so t changing everything completely so that the, there's no, really no interaction between our clients and our staff. Okay. Anybody else want to take that question? Well, I'll, I'll chime in. We're open right now uh, from a retail and wholesale perspective. Um, and we are applying the same protocols to both uh, portions of business. Our retail is, is uh, curbside pickup and delivery. Uh, we are deemed a hardware store. And um, so, you know, no one's allowed in the building. Um, all interaction is done over the phone. Um, and deliveries are scheduled, to, designed to be done the way the homeowner would like or, or the contractor would like with no interaction on, on the site. Um, and um, it, it, it's been fantastic. I, it took, it was, there was a little bit of transition period there uh, where people still wanted to come in. And, uh, but, uh, you know, as of maybe mid last week, nobody even tries to get out of their vehicle anymore. They calls are coming in, get loaded and pay as they're leaving. It's, it's very seamless. Uh, it is, it, there is, there, it, there is more labor. Our productivity is down, but um, it is going very well and being very well received by all customers, retail or wholesale. It's been fantastic. So, so uh, a question about uh, employees. Um, how are you getting them involved in this whole uh, safety protocol? Uh, and what happens if they're not following it? Like, how, how are you? How are you actually uh, encouraging that culture? So, so Peter, what are you doing? So, I've had to just put questions straight to our employees on on what protocols are working and what improvements are possible. I have some employees that are worried about the the virus. Obviously, they're worried for their families. Uh, that has driven more interest in this one safety issue than I've ever seen in 34 years. So in that sense, this, this anxiety and fear has been a positive uh, driver for finding solutions. Every staff member has had an opinion about what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I only have three of my eight crews working right now. So uh, they're the only ones that had work that was on the essentials list. Um, so really what we're able to do is to test those safety protocols and, uh, and get instant feedback from our staff. And, are you finding, uh, are you finding compliance with your, with your staff or? 
Uh, with the uh, yeah, masks, gloves, hand washing, everything COVID related has high compliance. Okay. Wearing hard hats, I still have to remind them to put their hard hats on. So, Dave, what about you? How are your employees reacting to this this new normal? So we we spoke to our employees and then went through. Um, they they developed or we we developed the protocols as a team, uh, as opposed to saying this is how we're going to do it. Uh, we talked about it early on that this is fluid. Um, things are changing constantly, so we need to work together to uh, revise these protocols as we go and up and and basically update them um, as things change. So um, it really is a, a fluid situation, and we're you know we're changing our protocols regularly. Are you are you having to uh, re-educate? Yeah, it's we're actually. Um, we had set it up so that every morning before the crews leave, we we have a, a conversation about about safety. We're supposed to be doing that anyways, talking talking about safety, um, but we're having specifically um, talking about the our, our COVID nineteen protocols and any changes. Um, so that um, and and also talking about uh, whether we need to change some of those protocols or whether they work. So it is a regular um, regular reminders. A, a lot of talk about what what is our perception. What is the public perception? What are they seeing? Okay. How about you, Jeff? How are your employees dealing with this? Uh, it's hit and miss. I mean, as far as the compliance is concerned, it's it's great. The The biggest issue, and I think the biggest issue that, that most of the companies uh, on the line are going to have is that uh, your employees are fearful of uh, coming back to work. I mean, we, we, we brought in about 50 people last week um, as a grower, you know, we obviously need to keep our plants alive. Um, and uh, so we brought in about 50 people and, you know, yesterday, you know, we're losing 10 to 15 of them a day and then rehiring and because, you know, they just don't. And, and you're also dealing with the fact that, you know, you can almost make as much money staying home. So is it worth putting the risk out there uh, in order to, uh, to really gain nothing financially? So it, it, that's a, that's our, biggest challenge is trying to trying to we can we feel like we've got great protocols we feel like we're keeping people safe uh but you can't change how people's psyche is in in this uh in this environment it's really 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 tough especially if they're afraid or their families are afraid and i don't and i don't blame them you know yeah, it's uh, and it's not only them it's their it's it's pressure coming from their families yeah. uh you know they got to go home with their wives to their children um and uh, that, that fear when they're sitting at home watching the media and the news all day, uh, and it's and of course there's nothing positive because uh, positivity doesn't sell. Uh, so you know you, that's what that's what you're dealing with, and uh, and it's a real challenge for us. And I, I get why they're why they're fearful for sure. Alan, what about you? How are you, how are your employees? I think overall the employees, as, as James alluded to, it's always been part of our culture to with from tailgates to. Uh, how we build into our processes, safety has always been the kind of the mainstream part of it. Uh, I think the bigger, as I alluded to at the beginning of, the, of this conversation today, is is getting people's behavior to change because now this is about all your touch points. So it's not just about wearing your, your hard hat. It's about not picking up the other guy's saw, not touching the other guy's lawnmower, um, not moving one of your crew leader's trucks. Um, things that would just be normal reaction to jump in and move it over 10 feet or, or grab a skid steer, as I can imagine on a job site, cause it's in the way of the, 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 the area I got to work 
Comic-Con. So it's those common human elements that it's just going to take us a little while of perseverance um, to make sure that we're constantly leading, um, that that happens. Uh, or in the public eye, we're not doing it. So um, I think a little bit is the employees and their apprehension if as a company you're portraying that, that safety culture first piece, I think that goes a long way to instill their confidence. Um, but we also have a pretty good obstacle in front of us as far as public trust. Um, that's why we're being so diligent, working with the government, get right protocols, bring the right health information back. We know in other markets, our connection to CNLA um, and the other provinces, British Columbia is three weeks ahead of us as far as growing season, um, as well as some of our members in the U.S. The feedback we're getting is, is public pressure and public perception um, is as much an obstacle as within our own companies. So as much as it's going to cost us to do some of these things in the immediate future, um, in order to be able to provide the service to the public, it's going to be, unfortunately, be to Jeff, your point, we got to make a decision within your own company, each of us individually, does it make sense, even though we're not going to make any money right now, because we've made a commitment to keep our customer and to keep things moving forward, the short term pain that we're going to experience to do this right. Um, and then we'll work together as a community to find ways to to build those models and to find protocols that will get it back closer to normal. At the same time, I'm sure we're going to have those companies look at how we are going to bring this new reality to the forefront for our customers to, uh, to be able to utilize our service. So there's so many moving pieces, Tony, that I think um, to think that we're going to have one, one shoe fits all for all of our members is going to be super difficult. Um, but we're here as a resource for each of our individual experiences to see if we can help tailor something um, to your own company's experience. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Uh, so I, I noticed on the on the chat line, there's uh, uh, there's a lot of questions about whether to work or not to work. And um, uh, I'm going to try at the end of this to, to <laughs> be as clear as I can be in in a situation that is really cloudy and frustrating. So I understand all the frustration that I'm reading, uh, but but I will try and do that uh, right at the end. Well, I'm telling you a little bit too. We can share with the group. I think the province is frustrated too. This is a unique situation that nobody's ever dealt with it at this high level to have a blanket emergency order put on not just the landscape industry and not just Ontario, but in many across Canada, across the world, um, in businesses everywhere from the airline industry to restaurants to try go get in your car service right now. And someone said, get picked up to drive home. Like, every little aspect of life has been stopped. Um, and now we do have, which is muddying the water, is municipalities um, who don't really, and have never had provincial authority to change an order chiming in. That's causing mass communication um, issues across the province that we're working diligently with the province to see if we can't mitigate that in as short a period as possible. But it, it can't open, happen overnight. And we're always in an awkward position as a trade association because we can't give misleading information, non-factual information. We can't provide legal advice. Uh, and we can't, can't provide a member who can't get their own legal opinion in a position where they're going to be at risk that they didn't otherwise perceive. So we go back to original statement. If you can get permission and you can get it in writing and understand that what you're providing um, is consistent with the provincial order, then if you are going to work, then do it safely as, as all the panelists here today have talked about. And hopefully your definition at the end is going to 
Is it logically possible to have clarity when things aren't clear? That, yeah. That's the question, but, but, <laughs> but we'll try. Okay, I, I did actually write something down and, I, and, and uh, hopefully it, it'll, it'll, it'll help. <laughs> anyway, uh, does anyone have a health and safety policy for outdoor toilets and waste disposal? Is that, does that exist? We are working on that. It's not a done thing yet. We're still trying to figure that out. And that's okay. that's kind of where we're at right now. Peter. We just the uh, the professional porta potties that are supplied. So I haven't had to deal with any of that personally, thankfully. Okay. So do you have any ideas? Are any of your customers using uh, camp toilets in a in a in their truck? Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different variations uh, going on out there. Uh, I would say I've not seen any uh, health and safety in a written protocol. Um, I would assume that would be hard to come up with on a uniform basis. Um, but um, I you know I, I, I would assume uh, each person dealing with their own um, mess, right? Um, and then proper safety protocols around that. I think as a task force, we can keep a, this is new for all of us. So except for construction sites where you'd normally hire a professional service uh, and bring something in, uh, we'll work as a, as a group and a community uh, to the membership and those on the call, please share with us if you have a, a working solution. Um, but we'll try and bring that information forward because it it's, it's going to be a significant issue for everybody as, the longer this goes uh, forward, and particularly if they keep restaurants closed. Yeah. Uh, Caroline's asking, what's the name of that app for mileage? Mileage uh, IQ. Mileage IQ? Okay. Yeah. Is anybody using anything different? I've tried a couple of different ones. That one's pretty much the easiest one. Okay. And that's uh, by Microsoft, My Mileage IQ? Yeah. Okay. Are there any other questions that are... Hey, Tony, if I could, um, I just want to, we're getting near the end here. This is the one thing I want to, I want to impress upon people is that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the way we've talked about safety in the past is PPE, hard hats and things like that. Safety is something that we just have to do, right? It's something that just gets done in order to, to convert safety protocols and practices in your company to the culture and the bedrock of what you exist on it has to be consistently communicated. I know I said this before, but your consistency in your message from yourself, from the owners down to your foreman, down and the feedback and review that are available to anyone on any of your crews, you need to have a cadence of consistency and, and it needs to start and end the day every day because otherwise it just becomes another thing we have to consider throughout the day. It doesn't become the bedrock of your business. And, you know, I grew up in an agricultural environment where, you know, it, it, you didn't stop to think about what was the safest way to do it. You just knew it had to get done. Um, and I can tell you over the last seven years watching the transition in our, in our team, uh, people stop and think about the safe way to do things first and then execute second. And that, is, that was years and years of constant, consistent communication and allowing feedback upwards and downwards and, and all the leaders embracing it and talking about it. Um, so 
please, consistency in, in communication is what's going to get you there to make it a culture and not just another thing that they have to do. Jamie, that's a, a great way to end the uh, uh, the safety portion of this this webinar. Uh, so uh, I'm going to uh, just uh, offer some uh, ending end comments, and I'm going to talk a little bit about whether to work or not to work. And hopefully, it'll be a little bit clearer, or as clear as can be under these circumstances. Anyway, uh, I want to thank the presenters for their generosity and willingness to share their experiences and insights. In addition to the presenters, Alan White, Jeff Olson, Peter Ganane, Dave Wright, and Jamie Riddell, the Landscape Ontario Task Force includes John Dursey, Margot Byers, Terry Childs, and Lindsay Ross. These individuals have gone far beyond the call of duty. They are all volunteers, and they are all going through the same challenges you are, and yet they've stepped up to help everyone. Thank you to the audience members and non-members. It is wonderful to see your spirit to see your spirit of sharing and caring. And it certainly makes difficult situations much better when you are in the company of a supportive and encouraging community. We are family, we are stronger together. I also wanna thank the uh, staff at Landscape Ontario, CNLA and Canada Blooms. They too have stepped up. One of the phrases I hear often these days is I'm on it. Uh, as your collective staff, we're on it. We are inspired by a wonderful community of members who reach out beyond themselves to help others. We're definitely better together. Finally, there are still many questions about whether some sectors can work. And I will be, I'll be as clear as I can answering that question. But before I do so, I just wanna underscore and reiterate what we've said a number of times. Uh, the province is looking at opening up the economy uh, and we wanna be the first out there. And in order to do that, we have to demonstrate that, that we're, we are responsible. So anyway, going back to, to who can work and who can't work, the Ontario government issued an essential workplaces list on April 3rd. This list provides the ultimate authority on who can work. So it's, it's the province that has the authority, not the municipality, even though the municipality has, has the enforcement uh, uh, job. So it's up to individual companies to make their own interpretation on whether they fit in sections 1, 20, 24, 26 and 30. Uh, this has been from the hotline and, and from, from the Ontario government. Uh, they keep telling us that it's up to individual companies to, to, to make their own interpretation based on the wording of 1, 20, 24, 26 and 30. There has been some conflicting and confusing information and answers that has, that has caused frustration. And to add to the confusion, enforcement is being handled locally. So here's what we know for sure. So one, growers are allowed to operate. Uh, garden centers associated with growing operations are also allowed to operate under certain safety protocols. Garden centers associated with food and hardware stores are allowed to operate under certain safety protocols. And maintenance companies are allowed to perform certain functions strictly necessary to manage and maintain the safety, security, sanitation, and essential operation of institutional, commercial, industrial, and residential properties and buildings. That's the actual wording from, from line 20. So here's where the confusion lies. Many municipalities have come out in writing or on their websites saying that they have consulted with provincial authorities. So, so it's, it's the municipalities that have consulted and certain specific and identified maintenance operations are allowed. 
other municipalities differ in their, uh, in their interpretation. So this is why it's important to make your own interpretation while checking with local enforcement. The priority, however, is that you're working safely and hopefully this whole question will be answered in the very near future. So thank you for coming. Uh, and we'll, we'll have another uh, town hall next week uh, where I'm really praying that, that we have good news. So thanks, that's right. <laughs> so thank you very much, everybody. Uh, everybody we'll be safe. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes every month. And if you have an idea for the show, please email me at scott at landscapeontario.com. Thanks for listening.